Hello and welcome back to I Cry at Work. I'm your host, Carrie Ann Cashon, a burned out millennial. Today, I want to unpack yet another glorious corporate buzzword delivering value. We hear it all the time. One of the reasons I want to talk about this is because that term is often used when either describing humans in the workplace, job descriptions, employee evaluations, or as a blanket cop-out for making decisions that hurt humans. Layoffs, benefit cuts, org announcements, the good old-fashioned org shakeup. But what does delivering value really mean? What type of value is being delivered here? In general, it's referring to the financial value of a company. If we've delivered value for the organization, we've helped them make more money. If the company lays off thousands of people and says that difficult decision was made to ensure we deliver value to our shareholders, it means they fired all those people to have a better profit that quarter. And working in corporate America, this is the sad reality we've all been desensitized to. You come in to the corporate world so young, so full of potential and hope, and then just year after year, and round after round, you just slowly start losing all hope in humanity. It's like, oh, half the building got laid off. Just another day in the neighborhood. Oh, Bob and IT's gone? Of course he is. No one's safe doesn't even phase us anymore. And we wonder why millennials have so much anxiety. Maybe because we know we could be fired at any point and have no job security whatsoever. But if we use this term delivering value to justify making all these decisions, we're inherently saying that is the goal of business. That is the path we are all marching towards. That the objective of business is to deliver value. And this is where I'm really going to ruffle some feathers. Wouldn't be the first time I've been called disruptive in corporate settings. Certainly won't be the last. We're only on the second episode. If I were to poll everyone I know and ask what the goal of business is, I think 99% of people, maybe more, would say to make money. The goal of business, the objective of business, is to make money. Like a softball question, you get at trivia night. Or like when you were a kid in the spelling bee and all the words before you were like arachnid or photosynthesis. You're like trembling as you walk up there and then you get something like exercise. Unless you're me who whiffed on that one in front of the entire elementary school and it still haunts me today. But that is the equivalent to asking people what the goal or purpose of business is. I'll take corporate conditioning for 2000, Alex. But is it? I don't believe it is. And all the boomers just started warming up their caps lock and logging into Facebook to call me a socialist and lazy millennial. But if you didn't leave this episode already because you're in private equity, hear me out. Is the goal of business to make money or is the goal of business to provide goods and services? Is the value of business in the money it makes or is it in the value that product or service brings to consumers? I believe it's the latter. Cue my manifesto. I feel like I should 
play the intro music. I believe the goal of business isn't to make money. I believe the goal of business is to provide goods or services that provide value to consumers and society and subsequently jobs. And making money is what enables you to do that and keep doing that. For all the corporate executives laughing at me right now as they send an email response to an employee that says, thanks, THK, sent from my iPhone. Behold, one of your own. The poster child of capitalism. Elon Musk, ladies and gentlemen. Turns out he thinks the same thing. In 2020, he did an interview with the Wall Street Journal that I actually find very refreshing, where he talked about what he called the MBAization of America and how companies should stop spending so much time in board meetings and finance and making PowerPoints. Say it louder for the people in the back, Elon. But then he got to this quote. What's the point of a company at all? Why even have companies? A company is an assembly of people gathered together to create a product or service and deliver that product or service. And sometimes people lose sight of that. A company has no value in and of itself. This thing we call profit should just mean over time that the value of the output is worth more than its inputs. If it doesn't say how far removed we are from this idea, the interviewer then proceeded to summarize this groundbreaking statement saying, so you're saying profit is a reflection of the quality of the product. So if the product is good, presumably the profits follow. That statement is the epitome of how much common sense we have lost around running a business in this goddamn country. He said it like it's a profound statement. So you're saying profits are a reflection of the quality of product. Wow. Here's a Nobel Peace Prize, Elon. But the reason it's so profound to us is because we all see the actions that don't line up to that. We've all seen R&D budgets as the first to go in budget cuts. We've all been in new product development meetings where we're grilled on gross margin and have to keep removing costs that we know decrease the product lifetime. And surprise, we don't change the retail price, or if we do, it goes up. So why are we acting like this? It all comes down to one question. Who owns the business? Because who owns the business also determines who makes decisions and what decisions are made in that business. So I figured I would break down just the general buckets of business ownership. And it's worth mentioning, I've actually worked in all of the main models. For some reason, I've ended up in basically all the, all the main ones. I've been an entrepreneur. I've worked in a small business worked in a family-owned private corporation, worked in a venture capital-backed, publicly traded, private equity. I've somehow made the rounds to all of them. wonder why I burned out. So I'll start with small business. When most people hear small business, I think they think of a local restaurant that's not a chain or their local accountant. When I hear small business, I think of metal. Because I grew up around my family's small business, which was a foundry. I know a lot of people might not know what that means. It's basically a factory that involves various types of metal. If you've ever played the first level of Tony Hawk Pro Skater 3, it's that. That's a foundry. 
It's a lot of hot metal being poured and a lot of machinery, very blue-collar industrial shit. Aside from growing up in a small business, I've also started my own. I self-funded an e-commerce business in college. I still have today. And I put self-funded in there because that does have a huge impact on how businesses are ran. Once again, who owns it? And fortunately and unfortunately, in most small businesses, that's the owner. Maybe a sliver of a bank in there. One pro of small businesses is there's one or a few at most key decision makers. But I would say the biggest pro of small businesses is they're in it for the long term. It's very sustainable. This is their livelihood. The goal is to sustain it. The absolute biggest con, though, is cash. For small businesses, cash is oxygen. It's a little easier to maintain that oxygen when it's a service, like an accountant. But even then, it, it's tough. But for making products, it's fucking brutal. Basically, if you want to bring a new product to market, you have to have that cash sitting in your bank account. To launch my business, I had to sell everything I had on eBay, other than I had two outfits, and wired my entire bank account to a manufacturer for my first production run, which wasn't even that much. I left the bank with $11.14 in my bank account. And if you don't make money at the end of the year, you're not going to be hiring for new roles or investing in new product development. You have nothing to invest. There's nothing to invest for new growth. Which brings me to my next model, venture capital. If you're unfamiliar with the venture capital model, it's essentially a lot of white guys wearing Patagonia vests and Allbirds investing in startup businesses. Often tech and Silicon Valley, but not exclusively. Basically, they give startup founders millions of dollars in exchange for ownership of the company based on what the business is valued today. So you might be wondering, if it's a startup company and therefore not actually a real company generating income yet, how could it have a value? If the business isn't even really running yet, wouldn't the valuation be zero? No, that would make too much sense. Because why consider the real value of a company when you can construct a mythical value of a company instead? Yeah, basically they run fake numbers and come up with some number they assume it will be in the future. The pro of venture capital is it allows entrepreneurs access to that amount of capital, aka money, to bring their product or service to life. Unlike small business, cash is not oxygen. Your oxygen mask is on, strings pulled, before the plane even started moving. You've got the baby next to you covered too, still sitting on the tarmac. You're fine. The con of venture capital is that the luxury of not having to worry about cash and having that to build your business comes with a catch. You no longer own 100% of your business. Therefore, you no longer get to make whatever decisions you want at really any point moving forward. You have to report to investors. You likely have a board. And what do investors want? A return on their investment. And I think some people would say, well, if you still own the majority stake, then 
you can still make all these decisions. And that's bullshit. Technically, sure, if you own more than 50%, you are the majority shareholder. But it doesn't change the fact that these people still have all this money hanging above your head that they gave you. And you have to report to them and share progress. And you get pressured into making all these decisions. It doesn't change the fact that you still get pressured into making decisions. So next, we have family-owned companies. And when I say family-owned, I mean privately held, not like the Walton family of Walmart. The pro of this type of model is the fact that generally, the company leadership and shareholders are one and the same. The CEO reports to himself or herself. Can you imagine what that annual review would be like? Well, Carrie Ann, you had a great year. I think you consistently exceeded expectations and deserve a five star. Well, Carrie Ann, I think you went above and beyond, but not as consistent that's in line with a five star. And I think it's closer to a four star when it comes to creative agility. I shit you not. That was one of the buckets for yearly evaluations for a company I worked for. You just sit there getting rated from a one-star to a five-star like a goddamn Amazon package for shit like creative agility. What the fuck is creative agility? Where do they even come up with this shit? So family business. So with family businesses, because the person is the shareholder and leadership often, decision-making can be more concentrated. And like small businesses, they generally care about the long-term viability of the business over the short term. They want a sustainable business. The con of the family model is its family. Just think of someone in your family, like it, literally anyone, just think of someone in your family right now and trying to run a corporation with them. It sounds like an actual nightmare. The second piece is nepotism. And it's not that I'm complaining that if an entrepreneur worked hard and built a successful business, that it's somehow wrong to extend that success to your children. But it's more than that. It's if you're putting family in leadership positions, that person may not have the knowledge or expertise in an area that someone maybe not in your family would have. And so if you want to make, you know, better innovative products, going back to our goal of business, but the CEO has only worked at that company for their entire life, they may not know exactly how to lead innovation. And you can learn and get better. It's just worth mentioning that is kind of a downfall of the family side. Next, we have private equity. Could have a whole episode on this one. Private equity is one of those terms I think a lot of people have heard about but don't know exactly what it is probably because it's a relatively new concept in the United States, generally speaking. It can get very complex very quickly, but to simplify for the purposes of this conversation, private equity is when one company, which is generally a group of many companies, a big conglomerate, buys another company that is generally considered to be underperforming. What constitutes underperforming? It could be year-over-year -year growth. It could be profits. They could be facing a bankruptcy. They could be in a legal mess. 
really anything that isn't very positive in the eyes of American capitalism. Basically saying, oh, you're not growing year over year? Fucking loser. The idea is these companies buy up these underperformers at a low valuation, spend the next three to five years cutting costs and growing sales, and then either sell the business to another business or take the business to Wall Street and go public. The best analogy I have on private equity is it's like flipping a house. You find a house that needs some work. It's not a complete teardown, but it needs some love. You see what it's listed at. You compare it to the other homes in the neighborhood that look a little better and what they were sold for. And if you run the numbers and you think you can make a profit, you buy it. You spend a certain amount of money to improve it, but it's with the intention you're not going to be living in it, right? So instead of investing in quartz countertops that will last a long time, you invest in laminate that just looks like quartz. Or instead of investing in wood flooring, you do the premium-looking vinyl that looks like wood. That's what private equity is, but with businesses. The pro of private equity is it can help save businesses and brands we all know and love. Just like flipping a house can help a neighborhood, buying that property does prevent a big developer from buying it, knocking it down, and building a Costco. Is the goal of owning a home to make money? Generally, no. It's not the primary reason. Obviously, real estate generally appreciates and it's considered a solid investment. But the goal of owning a home is to have a place to live that adds value to your life, that you can make your own, that will be there for a long time. The con of private equity is it's operated around one thing, short-term profit. Going back to our goal of business, shouldn't that be an output of you doing all your other things right? So instead of investing in products or services that provide value to consumers, you will only invest in products and services that increase your profit. And this often means cutting product lines or even brands that bring your total profit margin down, even if they make a profit. They look at their overall profit margin, and if it's known to be what's called decretive, even though it still makes a profit, they might cut it. Or sometimes it means keeping it, keeping the line alive, but cutting all costs out of it. This is when you start to see, you know, the brands that used to ship stuff in nice boxes, ship them in shitty bags, that kind of stuff. Could be a great product and service for consumers. Could be very valuable to them. But if it's not accretive to your profit margin, so long. And this is why I think we have slowly adopted this notion that the goal of business is to make money. But finally, <laughs> the gold star of corporate America, the favorite child, publicly traded companies. The pros and cons here is essentially this entire podcast. Where to even start? I'll try to keep it short. The, the biggest pro of publicly traded companies is it allows the public to be able to own a piece of that company. So instead of ownership being concentrated to a few people and subsequently controlled by a few people, the idea is that the people 
are the owners. The idea was that if you believed in the future of a company, you could invest in that company. And then if the company did indeed perform in the future, you would benefit from that success because you believed in it. And the company should operate in a way to try to accomplish that for you since you believed in it. AKA obligation to shareholders. But this brings me to the con. Success in that scenario is deemed by one thing and one thing only. Profit. Despite the intent to be operating to ensure the future success of the company, we operate to ensure the quarterly success of the company. We operate to ensure that four times a year, shareholders of the company see a higher earnings per share. You might say, what's wrong with that? If we make sure to grow each quarter, then naturally, my future return will be strong. This is where we're in trouble. Enter climate change and inequality. Getting worse and worse. The quarterly approach to only caring about profits as the metric is not working and will not continue to work. It's not a sustainable model. It's not built around sustaining for a long time as it is today, maybe 30 years ago. But today, it's an unsustainable model. Are we going back to the goal? Are we really trying to provide goods and services that provide value to consumers or that add value and benefit to our society? Because it's not just products and services. It's jobs. Jobs that improve quality of life. The whole reason we have jobs that help pay for those goods and services we provide. We're not doing that. In order to hit a quarterly expectation, we either have to put more product into the world, charge more for that product, pay less to make that product, and then pay less for the salaries that do all those things. And then we do it all over again next quarter. Who came up with this game? The creators of Saw? And this model, this dumb game, will not last forever. Unlike Monopoly, it will end. And don't get me wrong, I am not knocking profit or America. I'm pro-making money. I'm pro-profit. It's just how you view profit that needs to change. I am pro-making money. Look at me right now, trying to monetize a hobby talking shit about corporate America. It's one of my favorite pastimes. And as much as I like talking shit about corporate America each week, I do want this to be as helpful as it possibly can be. Most of this is a system and a systemic problem, but I really do want to provide as much value and solution as I can. And I hope providing a different perspective alone helps. But beyond that, for this week's episode, I would just say, you know, I'm not going to tell you to write into your senator to change SEC laws of section whatever and whatever in exactly which way, because we both know that's a waste of fucking time. Just waiting for this group to die out and Gen Z come in swinging. Millennials, no, we're way too tired for that shit. But Gen Z, they are feisty, man. I am team Gen Z. Their campaign videos be fire, all those TikTok skills. But until that day, I would say my advice for you, as much as I could give today, 
is hopefully this gave a great perspective. And so if you are part of the great resignation, if you are considering changing jobs, if you're looking elsewhere, ask the question of who owns this, the companies you're considering. And if that ownership model is skewed towards prioritizing profits over everything else, maybe it's not a place you want to be. And I think subtly that can make a difference. So that's all I got this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you liked it, please subscribe, rate, review, all the things. You can follow on social at Workplace Tears. And I'd love to hear from you. If you have a story, if there's something you would like to talk about, please let me know. Reach out, DM. Would love to hear from you. Love any feedback. But that's it for this week. I'll see you next week for another episode of I Cry at Work. <laughs>